Of all the weapons Satan brings to bear on believers, there is none, I would argue, more prevalent than distraction. And I would further argue distraction is also the most effective tool on the deceiver's belt. Seriously, just look around you today. The voices that are competing for your attention sound like a radio from yesteryear as the tuner is moved up and down the frequencies. For your reference, I submit the early ministry of Jesus Christ. No sooner had our Lord been baptized by John, as described in Matthew 3, 16 through 17, after being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting on him. And behold, a voice out of the heavens said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Immediately thereafter, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And pay attention when the Word of God tells you to behold. More about this later. In Matthew 4, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted forty days and forty nights, he then became hungry. So, if it's close to breakfast or lunchtime, how focused are you on God? If you're like me, you're asking yourself or someone nearby, where do we eat? Satan knows this, and so he brought temptation to Jesus three times. First, in verse 3, And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. Satan first challenges the Messiah. If? Then, since he knows very well who he is, the deceiver offers a powerful solution. Listen carefully to Jesus' response. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. The response is not from Jesus, but from the Father, through the scriptures, recorded in Deuteronomy 8.3. He humbled you and let you be hungry, and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. So, 
The first temptation was crushed by the word of God. What else you got, Satan? Then the devil took him into the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. What we have here is a duel. Satan, hearing the word of God being weaponized in the spiritual warfare he started, uses the same weapon in his next attack. Not once, but twice. He starts the same way, with a challenge to the authority vested in Jesus by God Almighty. This time, the deceiver uses himself the word of God, specifically Psalm 91, verses 11 through 12. For he will give his angels charge concerning you, to guard you in all your ways, and they will bear you up in their hands, that you do not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus escalates the exchange, bringing the infinite weight of the Lord of Heaven's armies to bear in verse 7. Jesus said to him, On the other hand, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Jesus refers back again to Deuteronomy, this time from 616. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test, as you tested him at Massah. The third assault reflects desperation. The offer, which Jesus knows very well, is a check Satan can't cash, is world domination. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain, and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you, if you fall down and worship me. Notice carefully a couple of significant issues here. First, the attractive offer is anchored in the world. To put this in perspective, Jesus has come from heaven and is being offered what he already possesses, his kingdom. Are you kidding me? Second, and most ludicrously, the condition is a monster downgrade. This one-time-only offer hinges on Jesus abandoning the sovereignty of God Almighty for the dominion of the Lord of the underworld. Just to be clear, this would require schizophrenia on a theological level, since Jesus is God. So, how does one answer this? Verse 10 spells it out. Then Jesus said to him, 
go, Satan. For it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Satan has been summarily dismissed, punctuated by the word of God, not once, but twice in Deuteronomy. First in 613. You shall fear only the, word, the Lord your God, and you shall worship him and swear by his name. Then, in 1020, You shall fear the Lord your God, you shall serve him and cling to him, and you shall swear by his name. Some things just call for repeating, you know what I mean? Only, in this case, the second citation clarifies the first. Worship is further defined as serving God and clinging to him. I'm also going to take the opportunity to point out the capitalization of him and his. It's my observation that pronouns attributed to Jesus are typically capitalized. Pronouns assigned to God typically are not. But I digress. Ladies and gentlemen, this battle has been summarily concluded with Jesus the Messiah holding the field. Then the devil left him. And behold, angels came and began to minister to him. Not only is the devil defeated, but and please don't miss the word behold, angels arrive for the express purpose of ministering to the victor. So, what are our takeaways from this? Number one, fear not. Our faith is the force that pushes fear from the engagement. How about this? Keep in mind the challenge Satan threw down to Jesus. If you are the Son of God, put yourself in the equation. If you are a child of God. After all, that is exactly who you are. From the instant you accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. Number two. Do not engage the enemy on the ground of his choosing. It is vitally important that you recognize the battleground. Once you do, and unfortunately this sometimes requires a defeat, you can know situations where Satan is likely to set up an ambush. Your response may be to avoid the situation. Or... Recognition should prepare you for the battle you now know will ensue. Number three, focus on the Word of God. Friends, there is no other way to make this happen. You have to spend time in the Word to implant this weapon in your mind. My main reason for sending these weekly messages is to hopefully give you incentive for making time and spending time reading and meditating on the Word of God. Number four, watch for offers that are without value. 
the world has very limited value in terms of the things it offers. By focusing on the kingdom of God, you will be able to compare valid offers with those that have temporal value. Number five, when the enemy escalates, bring your own more advanced weaponry. This skill set, unfortunately, will be enhanced with experience, positive and negative. As you earn the title veteran in spiritual warfare, you gain more advanced weapons with which to do battle. Number six, recognize the end of the battle. Sometimes a sword can be honed to an edge that exceeds its requirement, meaning you can become such an effective warrior that you are always looking for a fight. When you've gained the victory, first, give credit where it is due. You owe everything to Jesus Christ who strengthens you. Then, don't take a victory lap. If you give pride a toehold, you are very likely to lose your next exchange. Number seven, keep your eye on the reward for victory. Take note of Jesus when he defeated Satan. Angels came and ministered to him on earth. Keep in mind the rewards that are awaiting Christ's final victory. Focus on that. For now, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. Yeah.